Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. It's good to be with you. Mary and I are excited about um, sharing the Advent story with you today. I have uh, so enjoyed this this week. We're still continuing on in our theme. Listen, have you the wee clicker there, Dave? Sorry. Um, um, We're still going on. This is our ninth week on the theme of listen. And um, we we just felt that it would be great. Dave and I were chatting about this over the last few weeks, and we thought it would be great just to continue on looking into Advent today. As you well know, starts Advent. Advent is the period of four Sundays leading up to Christmas. Advent, the word Advent means coming uh, in Latin. And uh, of course, it was looking forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus into the world and people celebrate this all over the world. They celebrate it in, on, even unknowingly with Advent calendars and scenes from the Christmas story and little Christmas robins and on and on you could go. The first um, re- re- record of an Advent calendar in the UK was in 1956. And believe it or not, the first calendar with chocolate was made in 1958, which I think is very significant because that's a very significant year. It's the year I was born, and maybe that explains my love for chocolate. Now, I want to tell this way too familiar story. I have been broken several times as I prepped this this week, looking at the the Christmas story, and I want to draw some life lessons from it, eight life lessons really quickly as we go through the story um, that, that in some shape or form would try and formulate a plan for you. So here we go. The very first Christmas occurred during a very dark time in the life of Israel and in the life of an elderly couple called Zechariah and Elizabeth. This is where the Advent story begins. For Israel, it was a dark time because it had been roughly 400 years since God had spoken through the words of a prophet called Malachi. So for 400 years, there had been complete silence. God had not spoken. That certainly doesn't mean that God wasn't at work. God's silence never means he's not working. He was at work in the lives of people, preparing them for the coming of his son, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, into the world. But the the people still probably felt like God had abandoned them. And uh, now God was about to intervene in their lives in a way that would give a permanent and a lasting hope. And God would announce that source of hope in quite a non-expected way by sending his angel to an old priest who had experienced his own darkness in life because he and his wife were childless. So let's pick up the account as we go through this, uh, this encounter in Luke 1. Five to seven. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. So here we're introduced to two people who only appear briefly in Scripture, Zechariah 
and Elizabeth. It's interesting that the name Zechariah means God remembers. That's pretty significant. And we're about to see that even though Zechariah might feel like God has forgotten him, exactly the opposite is true. God remembers Zechariah and he remembers his people. So lesson, life lesson number one this morning is that God remembers. God remembers, all right? It might seem like he has forgotten, and God's delay is not denial. Delay is not denial. So Elizabeth, um, while Zechariah means God remembers, the name Elizabeth means God is my oath, or God in abundance. What a beautiful name. God is my oath. And God, indeed, is about to make an oath. He's about to make a promise that is going to be a, a, a bring a great light to dispel all darkness that um, Zechariah and Elizabeth have lived under and the darkness that Israel has experienced as a people. And we learn here that Zechariah and Elizabeth both came from priestly families. And in Jewish culture of the, that day, that would mean that they were both held in high esteem. They were righteous before God, the Bible tells us, and they kept his commands. Now, that doesn't mean that they never sinned, but it means it does indicate that they desired to live in a life, a life that pleased God. And yet, in spite of their service to God, there was a deep sadness in their lives. Um, they'd not been able to have children. And for a priest more than anyone else, this was almost childlessness, was a, a bit of a profound disgrace, actually, that called his godliness into doubt in the culture that he lived in because sons were a sign of the favor of God. And of course, it was the woman's fault. It was always the woman's fault if there were no children. So we're told that they had no children because Elizabeth was barren. So she was known as the one who brought disgrace on Zechariah. What a thing to live with. So life lesson number two is this, devotion to God does not guarantee that we won't experience heartache and difficulties in life. Great lessons in Advent for us, isn't there? Devotion to God does not guarantee that we won't experience heartache and difficulties in life. But God is about to intervene. He's about to intervene in their lives in a miraculous way that would overcome the darkness and hopelessness that they'd lived under for so long. Let's continue in verses 8 and 9. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. We know from First Chronicles 24 that uh, King David had arranged the priests into 24 divisions. We know that. And uh, they served in the temple in a rotating basis. And each division served twice a year, um, which is very interesting. And they would travel from their homes in Jerusalem to serve, um, to Jerusalem to serve the needs of those who were worshiping, sacrificing in the temple. Now, scholars estimate, I was shocked at this, that there may have been as many as 20,000 priests in 24 divisions. And so each division had nearly a thousand members. And Zechariah was from the division of Abijah that Maddie read for us, and he was the eighth of the 24 divisions. So one of the most noble duties of the priests uh, that they would perform in their service was the burning of incense in the holy place within the temple. And that responsibility was assigned by drawing lots. And so a bit like drawing a name out of a hat to see um, which of the hundreds of priests would get to perform on that particular important day and that important duty. And that day, Zechariah got a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to 
to perform his priestly duty, and he was chosen by Lot. And so while a great multitude was praying um, in the temple outside the holy place, Zechariah prepared himself um, according to the command that God had given to Moses um, to, to go into the holy place and burn the incense. And we, can be, we can't be totally sure, but it's quite likely that this was the one and only time that Zechariah would ever be chosen for this honor. Now, I have to imagine that he was nervously looking forward to this with great anticipation because this was the, the key thing. This was the, this was the best thing that a priest could get to do. But I, I doubt he could never have imagined what God was about to do in his life. And so that brings us to lesson, life lesson number three. And life lesson number three is always be ready for the unexpected when it comes to God. If you are a believer and you're a prayer, then you need to be ready for the unexpected when it comes to God. Let's continue the story in verses 11 to 17. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit before he is even born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to their Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make a ready people prepared for the Lord. Now, seeing an angel would be obviously a frightening experience. So the first words that the angel speaks to um, Zechariah is, do not be afraid. Usually that's what happens when an angel appears. That's usually their first line, as you can imagine. And the angel has great news for Zechariah because just as his name portrays, God has remembered him and he's about to answer his prayers. And he and Elizabeth are going to have a child, but he's not just any child. And they are to dedicate this son, this son to the Lord, because he's going to be the forerunner who will prepare the way for the long-awaited Messiah, fulfilling the words of the prophet Malachi 400 years previous. But this is not just good news for Zechariah and Elizabeth. It is good news for all of God's people. Think about it. There have been no visions, no prophets, no angelic appearances, nothing for over 400 years. And when God does speak again, he chooses he chooses Zechariah to be the first person to whom he reveals the coming Savior, the Messiah. Advent begins with Zechariah. And we learn here the importance of persisting in prayer and entrusting in God's timing for the answers to those prayer. And so life lesson number four is this, that God always answers prayer. Always. God always answers prayer. He says yes, and he says no, and he says wait a while. And there's two of those answers that we don't like. And actually, waiting usually comes in the form of silence, which we've just had for 400 years. Zechariah and Elizabeth had apparently been praying for a child for quite some time. Most likely, I would imagine, all their married life from the first time they tried and nothing happened. I'm sure they went in to seek God. And now, when there was no way, there was no human way 
that, that, that they could have this from a human perspective, God intervenes to answer prayer. But not only that, Zechariah and Elizabeth had been praying along with many others in Israel for the coming of the Messiah, and as unlikely as it seemed, God was about to answer that prayer as well. It's beautiful. Uh, uh, God often waits until there's no way that an answer can be explained uh, other than to attribute the work of God to it, and he answers her prayers, and then he gets the glory. Now, you would think an encounter with an angel would be a pretty awesome thing and would guarantee a faithful response, but that's not exactly how it worked with Zechariah. Let's look at his response in verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. A first response said, it, it doesn't seem like Zechariah's response is all that bad. And when we see how the angel Gabriel reacts to his answer, we see that, that Zechariah's response showed a lack of faith in his part. In verses 19 and 20, we see the consequences of Zechariah's lack of faith. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. God gives Zechariah a huge time out. I mean, like if you're a parent and you give your kids time out, it's probably five minutes or ten minutes at the work. Now, I didn't grow up in a time out period, nor did my kids, but I not go into the detail of that here. But, but Zechariah gets a nine-month time out as a result of his own belief. And um, it, 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 is it just me, or, or does it seem that Zechariah gets a kind of a raw deal here? Like, I, I, I mean, all Zechariah says is the fact I'm an old man, and my wife is old too. How is this possible? And he gets nine months of silence. Later in the same chapter, Gabriel appears to a teenage girl called Mary and tells her she's going to have a baby, and she asks what seems to be a similar question. How will this be since I am a virgin and nothing happens to her? Um, and the only way I can explain this difference is to acknowledge that only God knows the hearts. And there was definitely a difference between the heart of this old seasoned servant of God and a teenager girl, just saying. There was a difference in the heart. And it seems like Mary's case and her question was a result of a heart that was actually genuinely seeking to understand God's plan for her life, as was indicated by what's recorded in verse 38 of the same chapter, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord, she says, let it be to me according to your word. Zechariah, on the other hand, seemed to be completely dismissive of the idea that even though God could enable an old couple to have a baby, he just thought that wasn't at all possible, even though there was a precedent for it in the Old Testament with Abraham and Sarah, and he would have known that very well. He would have known that story. Now, when Zechariah comes out of the holy place, it's immediately evident to the people that there's something wrong. Out of the ordinary, something out of the ordinary has happened to this priest and while he was ministering there. So let's pick up the account in verses 21 to 23. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he had stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. 
Now, after offering the incense in the temple, the priest was supposed to come out and stand on the steps to pray for the people. But when Zechariah finally exited the holy place, there was probably a collective sigh of relief because the crowd who knew that there were several times throughout history that a priest didn't come out, that their sacrifice wasn't accepted, and the priest had died, and so they would have known that. So there was probably a relief that followed, and, a, and, a, and maybe by a, a a collective gasp when they realized that Zechariah couldn't speak. And I imagine that it could have actually maybe have been pretty funny not to make light of it in any shape or form, but here we have Zechariah engaging in a game of biblical charades. He's, he's trying to sign to them in some shape or form that some big angel, you can imagine his hand signals and how he would have tried to portray this to the people and a baby in his wife's womb and all of I don't know how he would have done that, however, but uh, after Zechariah had completed his priestly duties, he returned home as usual. And I can imagine what that was like when he got home and tried to explain to his wife what had happened. And uh, we know that Zechariah and Elizabeth were obedient to do what God had told them to do, as Luke confirms in verses 24 and 25. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Just like had occurred um, years earlier with Abram and Sarah here, Zechariah and Elizabeth did what they could do and trusted God that he would do what only he would do. And that brings us to lesson number five, life lesson number five. And this is one of my greatest life lessons and one of my biggest learning points over my life in James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Notice the order. When you do your bit, God comes to meet that. Don't sit on your laurels waiting for God to turn up without ever doing your, um, your bit. It's not an armchair wait. We've got to be active in that. And so with the first five months of her pregnancy, Elizabeth kept to herself any attempt to figure out why she did that is just assumption and mere speculation. But at the end of those five months, Elizabeth's relative Mary came to visit her, and Elizabeth learned of another miraculous birth that was going to result in the Messiah coming into the world. And when Mary arrives, the Bible tells us in verse 44 that Elizabeth gets filled with the Holy Spirit, and the baby at the leaps in her womb. Isn't it amazing that the first person to recognize the, 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 the Savior of the world was a non-born child in the womb of an elderly mother, that the Savior of the world was in their presence. And Mary stays with Elizabeth for about three months and then returns home. And shortly thereafter, Elizabeth's baby, John, is born. Now let's pick up the account in verses 57 to 64. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zachariah. But, the mother, but his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to the father to find out what he wanted the child to be called. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened, his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. 
Although the tax doesn't say so directly, we sense that something changed in Zechariah's heart over the nine months of his wife's pregnancy. The initial unbelief and resistance had given way to repentance and trust and obedience, and that's a beautiful process. And just as Gabriel had instructed him earlier, much to the surprise of everyone else present, Zechariah made sure that the baby's name was John. And earlier we will remember the significance of the name Zechariah, God remembers, and Elizabeth, God is my oath. Uh, the name John is also quite significant because it means God has been gracious. God has been gracious. What an appropriate name for Zechariah and Elizabeth and the entire world. The birth of John was proof that God had been gracious to his people by putting into motion the plan of bringing the Savior, the Messiah, into the world. And that brings us to life lesson number six. In the end, God... Um, always does exceedingly abundantly more than we ask or think. Paul writes that to the church at Ephesus in 3.20. And there's something about this. This entire event had made a big impression throughout the entire region, as we see, beginning in verses 65 and 66. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who had heard this wondered about it, asking, when the, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. What began as a, an ordinary day in the life of the people of Jerusalem um, over nine months earlier had been turned by God into a miraculous event that became known all over the region that has traveled down the last 2,000 years as it affected millions and billions of people on planet Earth. And perhaps today, you maybe feel like the old childless couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth and even the entire nation of Israel. Perhaps you feel that maybe God has forgotten you or that, you know, that he no longer cares about you and that you are not important. And if you are experiencing that kind of hopelessness in your life, then Advent is good news for you because there is hope regardless of your situation. Life lesson number seven tells us this, that God is a God of hope, and God gives hope that does not disappoint. I love this. There's a verse, um, a couple of verses in Romans 5 on the screen that I, I love because you see, um, the last verse of 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, tells us that faith, hope, and love, these three things remain forever, and the greatest of these is love. And we hear loads of sermons on love, we hear loads of sermons on faith, and very seldom do we talk about hope. And hope is a very powerful thing in a world of hopelessness. But we hear what Paul writes to the church at Rome. He says, and not only this, but we also celebrate in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, listen for it, hope. And hope does not disappoint. God's hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Listen today as we draw this to a close. Advent begins with Zechariah. God remembers it begins with Elizabeth, God is my oath. It begins with the birth of John, God is gracious. It reminds us that from the beginning, God has been the author of the story the whole time. 
and it results in bringing hope into the midst of a dark world. Uh, and those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Advent remembers that when it seems like God has forgotten, God remembers. It reminds us that God is faithful to carry out his oath that he made with Adam and Abraham and every generation of his people throughout history to send a Savior, the Messiah, who would bring hope to all. And it reminds us of this lesson number eight. God delights in extending his grace to us. God is a God of grace. And it's by faith in him and by his grace that we are saved. It's not of our works that anybody should boast. Anything that we receive from God is totally and absolutely through his grace alone. And even through the name of John the Baptist, he reminds us that he is gracious. At the beginning of this Advent, as we run down into Christmas, maybe this is a time for you to change a little bit of the way you think, to start thinking that, yeah, maybe God hasn't forgotten me. God does remember. To know that God is a God that, that actually is true to his oath, and to remember that God is a God who is totally, absolutely full of grace. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior today, then we would love to give you the opportunity. The Bible says three times over, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. The Bible says, if we confess with our lips and believe in our heart that Jesus is the Son of God, we will be saved. These are powerful truths. They're simple, but they're powerful, and they're life-changing, and they're destiny-changing. And if you cry out to him today, I can assure you, God remembers. God has not forgotten you. Wherever you are, God has not forgotten you. If you'd like to speak to anyone, then please get in touch with us. Even um, give us an email to our, our church email address, info at emmanuel-church.co.uk. I'd love to get the opportunity to talk to you, to pray with you. Any of our team would do that. I'd love to do it personally as well because there is just something as we run into Advent to hear this familiar story again and hear the new context, to hear it personally, that it would bring life and change to you. May that be the case. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these incredible truths in your word. Thank you for these life lessons that jump out to us and, and make so clear the fact that you remember, that make so clear that your oath and your covenant stand true forever in Jesus Christ, your Son, and that you are gracious, so gracious towards us. Even in the meaning of these first Advent names, there is so much power and so much lessons, or so many lessons to be learned in it. So God, as we listen, may we be encouraged, may you speak into every home, into every life, into every family, into every situation, into every brokenness, into every heart, every, into, into every lostness, and every, into every person without hope. God, may you be that one who brings the hope that does not disappoint. In Jesus' mighty name, we ask it. Thank you for being with us in your homes. Thanks to Maddie for helping me today, to Dixie and Carrie Ann and to Dave and the guys at the back. We appreciate you so much. The Lord bless you um, this um, week of lockdown and whatever happens, may the Lord be with you. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. 
For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.